Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the time for the itchy and scratchy show good evening everyone and welcome to ghost chronicles the next generation and for those who don't get the implication that was itchy and scratchy from the simpsons the longest running tv show ever i am ron kolick your host the gatekeeper to the realm the unknown the unexplained the unbelievable the mystical the magical the macabre new england's own van helsink and with me all the way from the land of the tornado is East Bridgewater is the blonde Bob Chow herself in Carrigan. Well, hello. I had no idea what you were talking about since I don't watch that show. Itchy and scratchy? Whatever that is. Man. The Simpsons? Yeah, I don't watch that. I'm sorry. Whatever. I'm out of the loop. I'm yes. out of the loop. But whatever. Just stick your, <laughs> wa- your walking dead. <laughs> I love my Walking Dead. I can't wait till October. Yeah, wait till you be Walking Dead. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so, anyways, I get you if I am. So, like IKEA, I'm Yeah. Uh, yeah. Whatever. Whatever. Yeah. Whatever. So, anyways, uh, people want to know uh, if you're leaving the show. What? Yeah, Why? I'm not leaving the show. Well, you've been missing a couple, so that I, people panic so easy. I, I just missed one. Where would I be without the blonde bobshell people? Where would I? I know. Oh, exactly. come on, guys. I wouldn't leave you. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't That's leave you. Right. Unless Ron was really, really mean to me. But, hey. Uh, hey, I only missed one week. What are they talking about? Yeah. I just missed okay. last week. Cut me some slack. Yeah. Move I had it with my daughter. We'll be right along. <laughs> So anyways, we actually have a great show tonight because we have something that I find interesting. If I find interesting, we have it on the show because that's the way I roll. But anyways, he is the uh, professor of the planchette, which I named him, uh, Mr. Brandon Hodge. You there? I am here. Hey, hi, Brandon. (laughs) So, So, Brandon, you know about the Itchy and Scratchy show, right? Absolutely. Thank you for uh, a scratchy show. Yeah, of course I got that. I can't sing worth a flip, but you know, <laughs> like I can. Ah, <laughs> uh, this is true. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, uh, Brent, do you like your new name, the Professor with the Planchette? The Professor of the Planchette. You know, it's it's funny. I actually uh, the Professor moniker has kind of kind of leaked its way into. Uh, to my my professional life a little bit ah, in the crap. last few years, so some of the other collectors <laughs> dropped that on me because I I tend to sit back and try to pontificate whether anyone's listening or not. Oh, so, so not the first <laughs> time I've heard that one. Yeah, talk sexy again, pontificate. Oh, I love that word. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that's those are the sort of five dollar words that get me in trouble too. Right? I was just going to say that that's a five dollar word. Mm-hmm. I don't think I could play it in Scrabble. It's too many. Too many, unless you've got something to build off of. <laughs> oh, quite a while. The way you drink wine, half your words don't make sense anyways. Oh, stop. <laughs> stop, Mr. Kolek. Anyways, uh, to me. Brandon, you are, uh, 
a collector, but you're not just like you just don't collect Ouija boards. You you're really into the the planchette side more than the Ouija board side, correct? That's correct. Yeah, planchette's an early spirit communication apparatus. So. Right, another big apparatus. Uh, <laughs> I'm full of them. I'm co- I've got the the, the source in hand tonight. I like I'm that. swinging. I like that. Flip, 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 flip. I need some sound effects, you know. And, and uh, Professor Sir, you have a uh, website, don't you? That's correct. Uh, www.mysteriousplanchette.com is sort of the clearinghouse for all of my research and, and, and my collection, as well as uh, the portal to my Facebook page and, and, and my blog and, and other things. So sort of all the shenanigans I'm up to all oh. filter through that main, that main forum, if you will. Cool. So how often do you post on your blog? You know, uh, I used to post every couple of weeks until this year. Uh, earlier this year, I became the regular, uh, a regular appearing columnist for um, the Paranormal Review, which is the, the magazine out of the UK, which is the mouthpiece of the Society for Psychical Research, which we'll actually be talking a little bit about tonight. So I have a column, a regular column with those guys. Mm-hmm. So I've put a little more of my energy into that regular column because, of course, they want to see fresh words and research mm-hmm. appearing there. And so now every quarter uh, in in print and online is the Paranormal Review and uh, in one of the oldest and most prestigious psychical research um, communities and societies out there. Mm-hmm. And so uh, a lot of my energy has gone toward that. I'm, I'm down to about once a month at the right. moment. And a lot of that's hindered by the fact that uh, I, I can't seem to write a short blog post. I decide if I'm going to sit down and write <laughs> something, it's going to have to be this thorough breakdown of some history on some snippet of information that I found. And, hey, look what I've discovered. And, this, you know, share this amazing thing with me. And, uh, and before I know it, I've spent three days, you know, hunched over my computer and my warm <laughs> doctors uh, typing away at the expense of friends, family, and business. So uh, I'm trying to get more regular but less wordy if you will mm. which is hard for a guy like me i noticed i noticed i actually uh, started a blog that's what i was trying to figure out so how long i was going to have to dwell in that blog and this so that's anyways but uh, spi i'm glad you mentioned that my co-host from uh, ghost chronicles international mr stevens parson is a member of the spr and a factory uh he does a lot with the SPR, so that's interesting. Very prestigious, yes. I, I was shocked and amazed. I, uh, I, I met my editor, uh, Dr. Leo Rookby, at, uh, in Utrecht, Netherlands last year, where I was there lecturing uh, on the preservation of spirit communication devices uh-huh. in history. Uh-huh. And uh, we met and uh, made some impression and, and got the invite uh, shortly thereafter. So I've uh, always been very excited about that. Of course, I am a member of the oldest ghost group, which, of course, is the Ghost Club. So, Ooh, nice, ghost nice try. Club. I, remember, I did nice not realize that. What's the Ghost Club? What's the Ghost Club? You don't even know who Itchy and Scratchy is. How are you supposed <laughs> to know where the Ghost Club is? This is true, so tell me. The Ghost Club is the oldest organized ghost group in the world. It is. It is it from London. I always call okay. it the London Ghost Club, and I get yelled at. Uh, so... <laughs> I'm surprised they said the ghost club. So, anyways, <laughs> let's let's talk about planchettes because people. Uh, first of all, how come I always get when I put planchette? They always come out as a, a spelling error. What, what's what's the problem with that? 
You know, that is funny, isn't it, that, that it, it hasn't crept in? I think I finally had to put it into my computer's permanent uh, little memory banks there. But uh, it is a French word, so it, it's, it's, you figure it would have long been Americanized by now, not only through its own history, but through its use as a Ouija board uh, index. But, it, uh, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? I, I think I'm on my third computer that hasn't recognized, naturally recognized planchette. But hmm. it is a French word for little plank, usually little wooden plank. And, and if you Google it, you'll often see cheese board, pictures of cheese board <laughs> stuff, you know, where they bring these out. So. That's yeah. funny. I'm, I'm on your site now, and I'm looking at all these different really cool planchettes. Isn't it? Cool. That it, you have, um, if you go to Brandon's website at mysteriousplanchette.com, which I put on our Facebook page, by the way, mm-hmm. he has a gallery, and uh, of course, the first one that caught my eye was the Boston planchette. Mm-hmm. And what's that about? Well, the Boston planchette is very special, and that's because it is one of the few planchettes uh, and the only confirmed planchette that mm-hmm. predates the Great Craze of 1870, uh, 1868. I'm sorry. Um, and so in 1860, late 1867, what happens is this very um, – well, this story gets published in the Once a Week periodical, which is a, a, a weekly UK periodical. And it's uh, it's about the planchette. And it's this marvelous uh, story that, that just uh, – well, to give you an, an idea of how effective it is in selling planchettes, it's still being reprinted for sales sheets in the 1920s. And it's just this uh, startling account of these spirit communications that this group is receiving in the UK. And it's it's written with very flowerly language. It's very sensational. And so uh, as a result of that being spread and copied in other papers and reaching American shores, it creates a craze for these devices. And that's going to blow up, particularly in the, in the holiday season of 1868. Mm-hmm. But that's not the beginning of planchettes. Planchettes stretch back all the way to the table-tipping days. Uh, the summer of 1853 is where they're first going to pop up uh, in Paris. But uh, they eventually make their way across the continent, across the English Channel, and into London. Mm-hmm. And they're made there for several years. And it's finally uh, famed spiritualist and utopian society, uh, socialist um, Robert Dale Owen, along with Dr. H.F. Gardner, who procure six of these devices in Paris. They jump across to London, where they do some lectures and show them off. And there's already some people in London using them, so they they gain a little bit of traction there. But then they come home to the United States. And all the evidence points to them delivering one of those six that they purchased to the bookseller J.W. Cottrell in Boston. Uh-huh. And he has said that he made 50 copies, and put them on the shelves of his of his Boston bookstore, which was a, a fairly prominent bookstore at that time. Mm-hmm. And they promptly sat there unused, uh-huh. unpurchased for eight <laughs> years before the, the fad caught up with him and suddenly – one of the, the top producers of those. So we can't confirm that the Boston planchette on my site is one of the original 50s and chances uh, 50 and the chances are it is not. But it is uh, from the from the man that all the evidence suggests is the first American producer of planchettes and therefore making it one of the earliest and oldest. Wow. So I mean, what? Brattle, Brattle Street bookstore. Was that was that where it was? 
<laughs> J- uh, I think it was just Cottrell's, Cottrell's books. He was a publisher as well. Ah, uh, okay. Dying for anyone who, who uh, any specialist in Boston history that are, are listening, uh, get in touch with me. I would love a, an old street photograph of Cottrell's business. That would just be, uh, put that on the cover of my book, right? Yeah. So, so why couldn't you just use the planchette and ask the spirits if this is one of the originals? I mean, what's, what's the deal? You know, they just fall silent. And, you know, it's missing a wheel. So, Oh, Don. <laughs> I know a couple people that are missing a wheel. Too. Yeah, it, it, it just lurches and wobbles. So, no. oh, that's, uh, that's so, like me after I've had a few glasses of wine. <laughs> I lurch and wobble. There you go. I, I, I just think about it. Uh, anyways. I don't know another, how Ron missed that. Another anyway. interesting thing is the, uh, of course, the writing planchette. When did that come into uh, play? Well, the, yeah, the writing planchette, of which the, the Boston planchette is one, mm-hmm. uh, uh, 50, 1853 is going to be, uh, I call it the summer of talking tables. That is when the <laughs> table tipping phenomenon that is closely related is going to spread all over the world. Mm-hmm. And I don't say that lightly. It uh, In 1852-ish is here on American sh- uh, shores, the... The strange movements of these tables begins to get noticed. That is, you've got people sitting around darkened seance chambers. They're all putting their hands on these tables and just waiting for the wrapping to start. You know, I'm sure most of the listeners are familiar with, you know, stories of the Fox sisters and and the history behind that. Where uh, before you had to real you had to rely on these wrapping mediums, uh, and you would. You know, voice your questions to the ether and wait for the response from a medium who kind of brought the rapping noises with her, if you will. Mm-hmm. But people soon discover that if they sit around this table long enough and rest their hands on it, it would start to move mysteriously. Now, mm-hmm. believers will say it's spiritual influence. Others will say it's idiomotor response, uh, the more scientifically minded. Uh, but in either case, uh, this very convincing autonomous movement of these tables begins. And it starts with the spiritualists. The earliest evidence is, is all with the Fox sisters. It starts off with Oh, my God, what was that? That table just moved or that chair just slid across the room. The, the spirits must have moved it. But it, <laughs> it, it quickly morphs into these uh, these autonomous movements of furniture where everyone's placing their hands on it. And that's the key point. It's everyone, right? Everyone can take part in this. Everyone can place their hands on the table. or It's like light as a feather, stiff as a board, right? <laughs> everyone can experience it. You, you feel that no one seems to be pushing it, but you can all experience that. So that jumps from American shores and, and just explodes all over the world, it becomes popular in London. And we have – I've actually traced – original research, I've traced – there's a letter that a German immigrant writes in New York. He experiences a seance. He writes a letter to his sister back in Bremen, Germany. From New York, the USS Washington carries this letter back to Bremen. Um, and she reads the letter, and he's like, Sister, we're doing all these crazy experiments with these tables. You have to try it. So she does it. She has a party. And there are some journalists at that party. And from that, the news spread that if you 
try this experiment. It'll work. And before you know it, we've got all these illustrations of, of just these huge social parties in Paris where people are doing it with tables. They're putting their hands on top hats. They're using pendulums. <laughs> um, and just these huge events, it just explodes. And in the course of that, on June 10th, 1853, uh, one of the, uh, quote, fervent partisans of this new phenomenon, unquote, um, decides that the table tipping is is too tedious. And the spirits tell them through the table, because you communicate with the tables through the alphabet. You call you out go. the alphabet, and the mm-hmm. table will tip or rap in response. And it finally tells them, go to the other room, get a basket, secure a pencil to it, and I'll write out messages to you. Really? And that is the hmm. birth of the planchette, as recorded in 1856 by Alan Kardec, who, who acquired the seance notes and republished them. Cool. So that's the birthday of the planchette. And it occurs to me, I didn't even observe it last month. I didn't even post on Facebook. Uh, oh, well. <laughs> You missed a birthday. Yeah. And, and before too long, by 1854, we have cabinet makers uh, in Paris that are producing these wooden wheeled boards uh, for, for use by spiritualists. Wow. That's amazing. So do we know at any point in history prior to the spiritualist movement, were, were there uh, use of the planchette or a similar device or a writing device prior to that? Well, you know, you always – you have to take these things very skeptically. You know, a lot of thing, things that we hear as Ouija board collectors is, oh, in 500 BC in the time of Pythagoras, he was, <laughs> you know, we get that a lot. And, and um, Fuji writing gets brought up quite a bit when it comes to, to planchette use and right. may in fact predate it. And that involves the use of this forked stick uh, over a, a, a bed of sand and mm-hmm. this – Stick, uh, you know, two users will hold each end of the fork, not unlike a, it looks kind of like a dowsing rod, and uh, and it will ride into the sand. Right. Um, so th- there there are other um, historical means of similar stuff, you know. But again, it's a at the very least, it's a it's a human biological condition. Uh, if if you subscribe to the idiomotor response theory, then. Uh, you know, it's just something our, our bodies do, and, and pendulums and, and uses of that sort uh, wouldn't necessarily change our history because we can still trace the planchette back to its beginnings. And even after its invention, people were saying, oh, well, this thing, you know, the Chinese have been doing this forever. But that doesn't <laughs> necessarily mean that the Chinese use of it informed the inventors of the thing that ended up taking off. So you have this parallel developments. And right. um, and so it is what it is. You can have those parallel developments without trying Indep- to protect all independent, the Independent uh, invention, right? That's right. That's yeah. right. Uh, yeah, it, it's interesting. Another thing I noticed on your uh, shelf there was the dial uh, doohickey thingy. Right, the, you... the dial planchettes or dial plates. We call the doohickey it. thingy, huh? Yeah, that's a technical term. Yeah. Technical, very technical. Well, yeah. for someone who doesn't know what itchy and scratchy is, I would say, yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. These devices come about, again, as, a, as an outgrowth of the, of the table-turning phenomenon. Uh, I'm going to see if I can find it real quick. I've, uh, there's a, a, a fantastic quote about the tedium of this communication right mm-hmm. um let's see if i can i can find it real quick 
Um, okay. Anyway, just a fantastic quote. I can't, but in any case, um, <laughs> uh, it just talks right. about the the tedium. And there, of course, there are lots of quotes like this, but it happens to come from the guy who was there when the planchette was invented. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just has to do with um, the fact that you sit around alphabet calling in itself. Now, let's assume you have a rapping medium. Oh, God, that's there. so boring. So, I mean, yeah, you sit there and you're waiting. You have to call out the alphabet A, A, B, C, D, D, and wait for the spirits to indicate a letter. Um, Yeah, what if his name is William? You start off, you got to go through all the freaking alphabet. Exactly, exactly. It's it's tedious, right? We need to expedite these communications in some manner. And so and the, the table tipping doesn't really help that. The planchette does help. It writes things out. But for those who are used to the alphabet, you have to go through other means. Reverend Mattinson did a, a, a really intriguing table tipping experiment in the, in the early to mid 1850s, and he communicated messages with his partner, and they timed it, and they could get 240 characters an hour. Now that's less than two tweets, mind you, and that's not. I mean, that's just a few sentences. That's a couple of sentences, maybe a couple of long sentences. If they're my sentences, they're way, way. You know, that's one of my sentences. But, um, <laughs> So all of these devices come about as a means to expedite those communications, whether it's writing them through the planchette or it's trying to refine those alphabet communications. So a lot of the earliest devices actually hook up directly to your table, and they take advantage of the tipping. They sort of uh, mm. harness that motion. So you'll have the table, but you'll have a dial that you place on top of it, and you literally throw a weight over the side, like this weighted string, or you tie <laughs> that off to a chair. And as you tip it, it makes this dial, this alphabet dial, turn, and uh, and you you know you can spell out the letters more efficiently in that manner. Which is what that's all these devices are trying to do, from the planchette to these dial plates to to the Ouija board. Uh, that's that's all they're trying to do is trying to facilitate and expedite that communication. Mm-hmm. Well, these I've never seen anything like any of these. These are really cool. The um the talking tables. Right. That's, if any, if anybody's on the on the on his website, it's other talking tables that we're looking at. Right. That's the third. Um, there. Yeah. So these are very cool. These are very cool. There's one. Cryo or the yeah. interpreter. Yeah. That one looks uh, interesting. Yeah. Now that one's a, a funny one for for those uh, listeners who aren't on the site at the moment. It's it's a strange little turned wood knob. It looks like a little propeller. And everyone would grab one arm of the propeller, and it's got a pencil coming perpendicular straight uh-huh. down uh, from it. And so everyone would hold that, and it would it would write. So in a sense, it's it's a writing planchette. It's just not the traditional heart shaped board with the two wheels and and the mm. pencil that that would be otherwise familiar. That's that's so interesting. I I just I can't imagine what would come out of that. <laughs> like right. a lot of, a lot of scribbles, I think. Yeah, but uh, it's just different. Well, actually, uh, uh, next uh, on the twenty-first, I'll be doing a uh, automatic writing and writing planchette workshops at the Circles of Wisdom in Andover. Awesome. So, it, 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 you'd be amazed at some of the stuff that uh, does come out of that. Uh, oh, absolutely! I know. I saw Leslie post something today that she had done with her automatic writing, and that mm-hmm. was pretty cool. It was like a hand, and uh, I forget what else was on it, but rings, rings. 
Yeah, that was that was really interesting. Oh, so. it, yeah, it's absolutely fascinating. I mean, yeah. Yeah, the, the the products of of not only these devices, but but that method of spirit communication are just endlessly fascinating to me. Mm. I'm lucky enough to have quite a few specimens of of spirit writing. And so, so when did you start collecting them, Brandon? I started in approximately in the late '90s, about 1998. I was uh, working a magic counter. Uh, here in Austin, right after I, I moved to Austin in 96, and in 97, I started, uh, in that year in 97, I was working this magic counter at a, at a toy store that was my, my college job. <laughs> and uh, I was doing card tricks and stuff at this magic counter, and I, I sort of fell in with this discipline of of magic, uh, sort of the redheaded stepchild of magic. It's very storytelling-based, <laughs> called bizarre magic. It's usually occult themed it doesn't involve a whole lot of cards or, or apparatus typically uh, you'll tell a, a story uh, with some macabre themes and and you might have a very subtle effect at the end of this and so I I fell in with this sort of league of outcast magicians uh, known as <laughs> magicians and I had this haunted antiques sort of seance influence show that I did and and I collected my first Ouija and my first planchette at that time uh, as props for for that show and um, and yeah i i 've always been enthralled with the with the Ouija and, and and other talking boards, but really the the intimacy of the writing planchette has you, just you know what's, appealed to me more you know what 's really funny uh Brandon is actually uh, I know a bunch of the the i like to call them the bizarro magicians um, mm-hmm. in fact, we had them up at SpiritQuest last year when we did a, a red light seance they were awesome. Oh, great! Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's a it's a great magic. Who did you have out there specifically? Uh, we had uh, Steve. I will never forget his. Remember, you're asking me oh, names. Yeah. I can't even remember my own name. Don't, don't let me put you on the spot. No, uh, <laughs> I, I, they know that. I can't remember Ann's name half the time. And uh, Rich, this is Rich, true. Laven, Rich Lavenwood, of course. Um, the amazing Viano. Yeah, the amazing Viano. Uh, he's an escape artist and. Uh, about 30 seconds to the break anyways. But, uh, yeah, I actually uh, gone to a couple of their uh, uh, meetings uh, where they, they try their mag- magic and uh, they do critique it and stuff. Which it's pretty interesting because it, it fits in with the paranormal, what, what we do, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But anyways. I can't, can't remember his name either, and he was wonderful. Yeah, he was awesome. The Red Light Sands was terrific. There's the uh, music, so we have to take a break right now. So anyways, you're listening to uh, Ghost Chronicles Next Generation right here on Tojinet, Parax, Planet Paranormal, I don't know, the Ghost Box, or maybe even the Ouija Boy. We could be coming to a Ouija <laughs> Boy. Uh, but anyways, our special guest is the professor of the planchette, Brandon Hodge. We'll be right back after the following messages. Can you hear me? My name is Harry Price. I am speaking to you via the medium of the Ghost Box. Many of you will know I carried out the first live radio broadcast from Haunted House way back in 1936 for the BBC. Now, thanks to the wonders of modern technology, I am still able to keep abreast of 21st century ghost hunting by listening to Ghost Chronicles International on Togginet, Parax Radio, The Ghost Channel, and even on something called a podcast. Two splendid chaps host it. One is an American who calls himself New England's own Van Helsing, although I have discovered his real name is Ron Kolek. The other is Stephen Parsons, and he's a paranormal scientist. 
Well, Mustache, I'm required elsewhere on something called a K2. But don't forget, I'll be listening in every Tuesday from 8 o'clock in Great Britain and 3 o'clock on the American Eastern Seaboard. I trust you will join me there. Welcome to Toginet, radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. And welcome back to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Ron and Ian and our guest this evening, Brandon Hodge. Hey. 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 <laughs> so, so, Brandon, actually, this uh, radio show is uh, originates in Tyler, Texas. Is that near you at all? Uh, no, Tyler's closer to my hometown, but no, I'm in, I'm in central Texas. That's closer to southeast Texas. Ah, uh, what the hell do I know? I'm from Massachusetts, you know. If yeah. it's west of, west of the thing, it must be Texas. You know, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys have it so easy. Here, I can drive 18 hours and still be in Texas. Texas. That's like <laughs> going, oh, Massachusetts, that's somewhere near Vermont, right? <laughs> <laughs> if we drove 18 hours, we'd probably be in uh, Virginia Beach. Uh, probably even further than Georgia. that. Georgia. could be in Georgia. <laughs> it could be in, almost in Florida. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, it's, it's a thousand miles from Atlanta to uh, home. So I know I drove it one day. So One day? Yeah, one day. Wow. Call me crazy. I know. What a, what a man. Ooh. So anyways, uh, with us, of course, is uh, Brandon Hodge. And Brandon, I mean, you collect these. Do you ever use them? I am not a user. No, I... Well, that's good to know. That's More than happy to, for them to to keep quiet, <clears throat> calm, and peaceful within the abode of my collection. So, <laughs> right. so what what do you think of people that use them then? Oh, I mean, I, I'm a equal opportunity. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it. I I will say, uh, it might be disingenuous for me to say I'm I'm not a user. I don't use them regularly. I have had a uh, an experience w- with a talking board, not with a, with a planchette. So I ha- it's not that I have not had experience, uh-huh. um, but and and a, and a startling experience at that, and and one that was very illuminating to me for my research. Um, but I'm not a regular user. But at the same time, uh, I, I have the utmost respect for those. You realize you who just did. can't f- you just can't fluff over that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we've talked about it before, and and maybe when uh, you know I, I with. Let's see. Let me not fluff over it. Uh, we sp- we had about a four hour talking board sec- uh, session mm-hmm. at the Tilly House in Gettysburg several years ago at, at Phenomenology Paranormal Convention, and it was just a, an incredibly intimate and very cool experience. And even though I have a more skeptical bent 
uh, for that. I have skeptical leanings toward that. It gave me a new respect for the experience and a respect for those who report on their experience. Mm -hmm. And uh, before, I think I might have been a little too skeptical, a little too eye-rolly when it came to the accounts that people would give. And after having that that experience myself, and again, for four hours, we had this incredibly cohesive narrative. And after believers wanted to attribute that to the spirit of this nurse with whom we were conversing, or whether or not they wanted to say, no, that's uh, that's just, you know, collaborative idiomotor response. Yeah. <laughs> uh, even if that's just the case, there's no dismissal of that because that's amazing. Uh, if there are six, seven people that are taking turns on this board and you're able to spell out this this cohesive narrative mm-hmm. mentally – subconsciously, and you don't just have one person pushing this thing around, well, that's pretty damned amazing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And, and it really is. The fact that the human mind is capable of that. So anyone who rolls their eyes at, at that experience, I, I, I kind of tiss, tiss my, so, my yourself a little bit. So now <laughs> I read these historical accounts and say, well, no, that's the true account of that person's experience. So, so let me ask, ask you this. I mean, Robert Murch wasn't on that board, was he? He was on that board. He let those- I, I, he, He's a known cheater, you know. You know that, right? Oh, oh, no. oh, oh wow. Oh, <laughs> wait, wait. I hear a breath. <laughs> really? A breath? Was there, was there a breath in the line? No way. It could be spirit, could it? Yeah, it could be. Spirit uh, breath. Yeah, joining us now is the chairman of the board and... <laughs> Well, I'm not going to call Machita to his face. Uh, Mr. You just did. You just did. Oh, it's radio. I don't see him. <laughs> Mr. Robert Murch. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me on there. And, yeah, you know, you didn't break any news. Everyone knows I cheat. Oh. Wow. Tooth comes out. <laughs> so I, 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 take it, you, I take it you two guys know each other? A little bit. A little, a little, yeah, a little bit. I've, I've, I have heard that name, Brandon Hodge, a few times. <laughs> Bandied about. Yeah. When, when your husband whispers it. <laughs> oh! That's right. Booyah. Wow. <laughs> We're going to go that road, aren't we? <laughs> it, all, it always goes there. <laughs> <laughs> so... Actually, as Brandon was talking, uh, he was describing a narrative story from the other side. And and perhaps one of the most interesting cases that I I ran across, and a lot of people have run across, of course, is the strange and mysterious case of Patience Worth. So I know that Brandon recently was on TV for Mysteries at the Museum, and he was commenting on it. So why don't you set it up first, Brandon, and then we'll get Robert's take on this. Well, you know, uh, literature produced by spirits uh, has, a, has a pretty long and, and damn fascinating history. Um, for me, my specialty tends to focus more on the automatic writing side of things, of course, uh, whether through the planchette or through automatic writing, which is usually just produced freehand with with a pencil uh, without using a device. Uh, automatic writing first comes along in, in the early 1850s, right 
on the coattails of the Fox sisters, in fact, by one of their closest partisans, Isaac Post, who begins compiling messages from William Penn and George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, some of your normal seance fodder for that era. And he publishes Voices from the Spirit World. And uh, that was all produced by automatic writing. Um, also, uh, Charles Hammond publishes a year later, like from the spirit world. And, uh, and he's channeling Thomas Paine through his automatic writing. Of course he is. Um, and you've got just a, a, a huge family tree of these authors who are not writing of their own volition. They are, uh, their hands are moving by quote, invisible influence, uh, if you will, with no volition on their own part. Um, and, so for me, you've got um, just this this long progression, and a lot of science fiction writers. Uh, Helena Smith was an early 20th century psychic um, who communicated with Mars uh, Martians, oh, I know. Uh, who were who were channeling through her uh, spiritually through automatic writing. She writes from India to planet Mars. Andre Breton, uh, Sarah Weiss. And uh, my favorite, A Dweller on Two Planets, which was produced uh, by automatic writing uh, through the spirit Phylos. Uh, uh, but perhaps the most famous and sort of patient's worst precursor was in the 1880s, and that's Lenora Piper, who is, a, is perhaps the most famous planchette user who is producing incredible writings through, through planchette messages and, and making a lot of money. Uh, at the at the same time, uh, it was approximately uh, like twenty bucks to sit with her in nineteen ten. <laughs> a lot of money, and yeah. she was a, a subject of a, of a lot of of skeptical inquirers and and uh, some of the investigators from the Societal for Psychic Research that we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. So uh, by the time we we get to the nineteen teens and the nineteen twenties, there's a long. Pre- tradition of the spiritually produced literature the spirits using a mortal vessel to channel their thoughts and writings into the mortal world and when the ouija board makes its introduction patience worth gets a hold of one and uh i'm gonna let bob take it from there yeah i mean you know like i've been you know listening to the the entire conversation and it, it's fascinating and it, it, it's it's interesting, Ron, you know, I mean this in the most positive way ever, but you've been around forever. I, I mean, I remember, <laughs> you know, like... I'm saying I, I was around no, with I, I, <laughs> yeah, see, You were around when the, the Chinese were playing around with automatic writing. No, I... <laughs> the, the, no, it's been, it's been pretty interesting to see, um, you know, the ebbs and flows of when the paranormal becomes interesting and what of the paranormal becomes interesting and why. And I think, um, you know, the whole Ouija movie, the the new Ouija board, the different versions of the Ouija board, all of this has really stirred up a hornet's nest of really amazing stuff because there are people like Brandon who are doing research kind of beyond talking boards or if we broaden the term talking boards to include these other talking tables, you know, the Ouija board doesn't happen in a vacuum. And, and, and why was... Um, Pearl Curran trying to talk to anyone in the first place. And, and, and all of those things, these, these other items tell a story. And, and it's also the story of the Ouija board. So I think, you know, people often forget that, that they're just these amazing devices. You were all on that page of, um, Brandon's website of other things and they mostly get forgotten. I mean, you know, it, it's a funny thing that 
if you walk into an antique store or flea market or whatever, you see a Ouija board or anything with the letters and numbers and an arc, and you know it's a Ouija board immediately. But if you look at these other devices or just plain chess, a lot of people don't know what they are. And for collectors like Brandon, that's a great thing, right? Because um, though he wants you to know what they are, he also wants to get them himself. So um, it makes it a lot harder. So the work that he and other people are doing, I, I, like, I don't think, Brandon, you've talked about IAPSOP yet, but we no, also started the Talking Board Historical Society, which is just purely focused on preserving this history. And the history of patients' worth. And so where, where Brandon had kind of left off was wait, wait, um, King Mitchell, yeah, the story. Patients worth. Can you give us the, the story of who was patients' worth and, and what, what, what the hell are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so patients' worth was um, supposedly a, a spirit that Pearl Curran and Emily Hutchins made contact with uh, on July 8, 1913. And so Emily and Pearl placed their hands lightly on the planchette of a Ouija board and asked a question. And very quickly, they got this answer. Many moons ago I lived, again I come, patience worth my name. And that started a basically 25-year contact with this spirit. And Pearl Curran, who was this basically considered a not educated woman, someone who who couldn't write in the way that she suddenly was. So suddenly Pearl Curran is just pumping out hundreds of lines of prose, books, (laughs) poetry, all critically acclaimed. I I mean, this is the unique part is, yes, okay, anyone can write anything. Like, I I write all kinds of things. I'm a horrible writer. Like, it's just terrible. And, (laughs) you know, what was happening with her was... She's spelling out books and pages, and it's amazing. She actually and had a bestseller. People are trying. Well, people are trying to disprove how could this happen? How could a woman who didn't normally write or when was asked to write things and, and her complete past showed against that she could do this? And yet, when she used the board through patience, worth the spirit, all of this amazing work came. And so, you know, is this just simply a case of? Um, an idiot savant um, was was all this stuff in her subconscious and, and through this character patient's worth she was a, allowing her brain to release all of this creativity or was there really a spirit that was trying to communicate and and I mean until the day she died people tried to disprove it it's really hard to disprove because Pearl Curran was brilliant she did not believe that the Ouija board or planchette had any mystical power. It was really? just, you know, something that had letters and numbers. But what she did believe was that the board and everything they didn't do anything, but it opened a door inside of you to make contact with something. And so even she was never really clear what that something was. She, she would repeat what was told to her through the board, but she had many quotes where she just basically said the Ouija board just happens to be the tool that I'm using that is unlocking this communication. And, you know, it's an amazing thing because people would try to say, well, she's faking it. And I think most scientists would agree who investigated her, she was not consciously faking it if she was. But if this stuff was just her, nothing else other than her, then she was not aware of that. And so it, well, it was amazing. I mean, she, she got so big, 
she even had her own publishing company, and they were just pumping out magazines. I mean, she was a huge phenomenon. Wow. You know, we have, we have of course, uh, experts, uh, experts, I say, uh, and one of them says, the weight of the evidence, lack of historical record for patients were us, and the fantasy provenance of Curran, uh, the writings are questionable language and evidence, editing and revision indicates that patience was merely the persona of Curran. And of course, that would be the expert of all paranormal, Joe Nickel. <laughs> Awesome. Well, you know, I would urge anyone who's interested in the case of Patience Worth to read a book. If you really want to get into the nitty-gritty facts, and it's tough because it is not easy reading, but uh, Daniel Shea wrote a book called The Patience of Pearl, and it basically is the encyclopedia on what, where, why, when, what happened, and how. I mean, this man is a professor, and he, he used... Um, everything at his disposal to make a very educated, thoughtful, basically, thesis paper on her and what happened oh. and when and who was there and why. It, it's an amazing work. And I, I just basically interviewed him uh, just a little bit ago. Um, again, the book is, is thick. And um, for most people today, I would say get it on Kindle. It's much cheaper. But yeah, you know, yeah. it was um, fascinating. <laughs> like, I, 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 he sent me an autographed copy, which was an honor because he spent a lot of time. I, I Like I was giving props to Brandon, anyone who, who spends an enormous amount of time researching a singular thing. I mean, for me, it's Weijin talking boards. I've spent 20 years doing this, and I recognize that passion. And so it's fun to work and collaborate with people when those passions you know, kind of collide. Right. And um, I, I recently, it's so strange, I sent this to Ron earlier, uh, where I, I had come across two photographs of um, one of patients worth, um, well, one of Pearl Curran, and then her daughter, we patients worth, because in all of the stuff that was going on, patients worth the spirit directed Pearl and her husband, John Curran, to adopt a child. Oh. And she did. And she named that child uh, Patience Worth Curran, or they called her Wee. And, and these photographs came up. And, and when, they, when the first one came up, I had hit um, Brandon back and said, well, this is really weird. This is clearly not Pearl Curran. And, and all of us are doing so many things. We're not like, it's not clicking. But we, we've already done this research. We know that she had and adopted a child. But it's just not hitting. There are very few pictures, if any, surviving of her. She died very young. Um, and so that led me on to, well, are there any living descendants? And I love that. That's my forte is hunting down mm -hmm. the, the living descendants of the dead. And um, I'm like a dead stalker. So um, <laughs> I, I contacted um, Daniel Shea because he had done so much work that there's no sense in kind of re writing the, you know, the mm. wheel here. So um, right. I contacted him, and he really helped me, and he's actually put me in touch with uh, a descendant, and we're trying to kind of dig out something unique or different that already isn't part of the historical record. Right. So we you, those pictures you sent me, Bob, I, I posted those on our Next Generation page, so if any of our listeners uh, want, to, want to take a look at it, they can see there's, there's one of uh, a young lady by herself, and then there's two young ladies together. 
And I say, right. And so the lady by herself is um, Patience Worth Curran, the uh, kind of adopted child that was directed by the spirit. And uh, the other photo is Pearl Curran, and we believe might be um, Emily Hutchins. We just don't know that part yet. There, um, there again, are so few photos um, that are that are out there. And these were press photos, so they were used for stories that were in the press. But, you know, as, as Brandon knows, what, what's really fascinating about this case um, is that she, again, it was the device to her was not important, just happened to be the Ouija board, which, again, was really popular. So the William Fold Company was super excited that she's using the Ouija board and that they're writing about it. But, but she gives up the Ouija board, like, you know, kind of pretty quickly uh, and starts receiving these communications just, you know, kind of right into her head. And, and that happens a lot with automatic writing. And, 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 you know, some people call them mediums. Some people call them psychics. Other people, it's automatism. Um, it's just really fascinating. I and mean, the whole thing is, is a very unique phenomenon. And, and again, I really do think that even though people just, you know, like the Ouija board is like the most common and the most popular, and that's what everyone wants to talk about. I, I think luckily because of the movie and all the things that are coming about, people are really getting interested in what came before it and was happening around it. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd so, like to ask both of you guys, uh, Brandon and, and Robert, uh, why do you think there are so many people that are passionate about trying to, and I hate this word, debunk what, what is occurring on the uh, Ouija board? Either they want to dismiss it so badly uh, that even though they, they have no physical evidence themselves, they'll still state it as though it's physical evidence. Either you want to start with that, Brandon? <laughs> Why are these people so vehemently against it? Um, yeah, why? Yeah, why is uh, you know it's it's like uh, you know it's like trying to to prove that there's no God basically in in their case they just so av- uh, fair yeah what the word is whatever. Well, for one, you know, I, I, <laughs> if they can experience it and, and experience it sincerely, uh, you know, I think that would go a long way toward changing their minds. I mean, it did for me. And again, I don't subscribe it to to spiritual influence, but that didn't make it any less of an amazing experience or an influential experience to me. And uh, and so I would I would say that that, that would be one way to start. Uh, but uh, secondly, I don't know. I, I, maybe they're just threatened by it. They're threatened by the concept of it, or you know, some people are empowered by making others feel stupid. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's, that is the American way. So, right. Yes, that's true. <laughs> yeah, Robin. Well, you know, it, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I agree with um, some of what Brandon's saying, and, and also I just think, you know, we want proof. We are not a people of faith anymore. And I know people gasp when they hear that, but we don't live in that world anymore. I mean, we live in a very finite, uh, why does this happen? Two plus two equals four. I mean, science has just exploded since these things happened. And so we have kind of two things happening, which is some things never change, death and taxes. We will (laughs) all subscribe to these two things, right? And, And so that's no different. The people back in um, 1848, we're experiencing death quicker and more often than we are today. 
And, and, and in fact, I would kind of argue we are less comfortable with the concept of death today, not maybe consciously, but because it's further away from us. We're living so much longer than we mm. used to, and we don't even want to look old. We have plastic surgery, and, and yeah. so death is, is bad, and we push it away. I mean, you know, Brent and I have had this conversation a million times. There was a time when a child would die, and you would take photographs of it with your living children and put it up on your wall to remember them. You know, the funeral like parlor was your parlor. Hey, yeah. So, you know, death was so much a part of your life back then. It's not that, it, again, we still experience death, but it's much more clinical and sterile. And so I think that since there's no proof, people just look at it and say, give me a break. You're just, you know, you're just fooling yourselves. You're just telling yourself because we live in a very scientific world where, where we, we figure things out much quicker. We come to things much quicker. I mean, I'm not saying, look, the Victorian times, people always think we're stupid. It's not true. You know, automatism and idiomotor effects were being discussed in 1850. It's just that things are much quicker now. And so it's harder to have that faith in this kind of world, I think. And so when I talk to people and, and we play the Ouija board and we try to get them doing all kinds of neat things, you know, they might be willing to entertain it, but the people will walk away kind of thinking, well, but, you know, it, it's because it worked because of this and this, and it must have been this going on. And, and yeah, I think but, that's just part of the world we live in today. But they're willing to talk to a cheap EMF beater. Yeah, right. <laughs> Again, you know why? I think, no, you're, you're so right. It's because... They would they turn to something that appears to be scientific, right? Mm -hmm. So so there's science behind lights. an EMF meter, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, and but as Bob said, planchettes no were incredibly scientific in their day. I recently acquired a, a, a device that actually has alternating copper and nickel bands. Well, does can anyone identify <laughs> what alternating copper and nickel strips constitute when you add moisture? A battery. Oh. Ah, it, that's great. It's a bag. So, hello, Lucy, I'm home. Uh, <laughs> so, Pizza from I, the I have this planchette that has these alternating strips, and they crisscross across to where you would place your fingers. So, the oh. idea, and of course, the idea is that it was a rudimentary battery, and you would charge the item because, you know, in that day, a scientist was just discovering things like voltaic piles and such, and so uh, it was it was an attempt to be scientific in the same way that Bob is saying uh, our our modern consciousness looks at these these devices and these phone apps and such as as the top signs of its right. death in the same way that that those were then. I hate to say this, guys, but yeah. that was the doorbell, which means pizza from the dead's here, and we've got to wrap it up. We got about a minute left. Oh so man. It was good. Sorry. You guys are awesome. But uh, you, you guys, all night. <laughs> you, you guys, uh, Bob mentioned something, uh, ISIS or something. No, not ISIS. Uh, oh, stop. Uh, some group that you had used to are working together. Well, uh, Bob was mentioned. IAPSOP, I-A-P-S-O-P dot com. There you go. Which is the International Association for the Preservation of Spiritualists and Occult Periodicals, which probably just ran us out of time because oh it's goodness. a long moniker. But we are a historical preservation society devoted to uh, preserving, uh, digitally preserving historical spiritualist documents. Awesome. Uh, so people can check that out. And uh, of course, the Talking Board Historical Society, Bob. Yeah, at uh, tbhs.org. And, and again, that's if you're interested in Ouija and talking boards. 
you know, find us on Facebook, go to our website, follow us on Twitter. We have lots of interesting people saying interesting things. Absolutely. Yeah, you guys are awesome. I, I loved uh, talking with you both. Uh, oh, I know. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. An hour is too short with both of them. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> just too short. <laughs> I, I, I know. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we'll just have to do it again sometime. Yes. I, know gonna, I know we're going to get Bob on the on the on the video production of this show one of these days. I, I, so uh, we can see some of the things he's talking about. We'll have to yes, try to, please. We, we we'll have to tr- we'll have to try to get Brandon as well for a one. Yes, as well. yes, yes. So, anyways, Next guys, up for a visit. <laughs> hey, there you go. There you go. All right. So, uh, thank you guys so much. I really appreciate you guys taking time out of your schedule and coming on board, and uh, you know, keep up the good work and. You know, save our pass. Absolutely. <laughs> thanks so much for having us. Uh, thank you so much. Oh, thanks for being on, guys. We enjoyed it. Okay, time to wrap it up. So, till next time, say good night and God bless. Good night and God bless. Good and night. we'll talk to you all next week. <laughs> Long-leggedy beasties and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord. Is there more living?